The guy on the end is far too good looking. I'll be distracted all the time. The end where I'm standing, not the other end. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have done so much. Thank you that you came and you died and you rose again. Thank you that you've promised to always be with us, never abandon us. Thank you that nothing we do can make you love us less and nothing we do can make you love us more. Thank you that by your spirit you walk with us and change us and and make us more like yourself. Thank you that we can know you. Oh, Father, Paul prayed in one of his letters that we would know the height and the depth and the width and the dimensions of your love. We pray that again, Father. We, we know you, but, but we have not even scratched the surface of who you are. You are infinitely good and infinitely marvelous and infinitely beautiful and infinitely compassionate and infinitely uh, jealous and infinitely wonderful. And we want to know you more. Open our eyes. Lord, as you open the eyes of Elisha's servant to see the armies of the Lord, open our eyes to see you. To see you as you truly are. Keep walking with us. Lord, I pray that we would have a ravishing vision of you. That you would be our strongest desire in this world. Speak to us, I pray. Uh, speak even through me. Lord, we, we come not as people who are magnificently glorious. <laughs> We're not. But we come as glorious in your eyes in Christ. We dare to stand before your throne. Boldly approach your throne. Because you look at us and your son, to whom you said, that he was your beloved son who pleases you. And we know that, that in him you see us. And we thank you. Speak now by your spirit. May these words that we have read be more than just words. May they be messages of life. Amen. Okay, well we are, we are going to carry on today with um, our... Can you all see? Okay. I'm trying very hard. Can you see? Yes? I'm trying very hard not to get it too much on the floor because it's scratches. Today we're carrying on our, uh, our intermittent series on the ways we approach God. And we've seen that there are some ways which, which are not ideal ways to approach God. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that they are wrong ways. And we think, oh, it's just other religions that have wrong ways of approaching God. But, but actually, you can call yourself a Christian and not really be one. You can approach God in all sorts of ways. And it usually comes down to with what stands at the, the, the center of, of our universe. Because if the core is rotten, everything else is rotten. If the core is not accurate, we, we don't know God. And we've seen this, there's a few different ways that we've seen we can approach God. Um, welcome to art class with Nicholas Van. 
if you want to learn how to draw, go somewhere else. Okay, so let's, let's say, can you see this? It's a circle class. Over here we have um, the universe. The physical universe, the, the metaphorical universe, this is the universe. And the, the question we're asking is, what stands at the center of this universe? What, what stands at the center? What defines how we relate to God? Yes, Wayne? Mark? Well, that is actually one of the ones that we saw. Thank um, you, it's unusual for someone else to say Mark's the center of the universe. Quite often, though, we think, ah, the center of the universe is me. And we saw this, this, this we called... Beg your pardon? He was, he was making a theological point. <laughs> no one would ever think to have a go at you, Mark. So, so this we called the life from God approach. And, and this kind of thing, I'm at the center of the universe. God's role is to bless me. So God's, God's kind of like a, a, a bit of a, a divine vending machine. And if I want something, I'll say, God, give it to me. And God gives it to me because that's his job. And we saw actually, no, that's not God's job. God is God. I am not. What the world does not, surprisingly enough, revolve around me. Now, it's true, we saw that, that somewhere in here, God does bless us. God does give us amazing things. We, we've heard some of the things. We've heard from Steve, a way that God blessed your relation. He had 200 peoples at a family gathering yesterday. Um, we, we've been blessed by having Gordon and Nancy here. We've been blessed by having each other here. We've got Colin giving watches away. Um, it, it's good. God does do good things for us. But that's not the center of all existence. We saw there's, there's another one. The first one we looked at, we saw, okay, here's a nice cloud. That's God and we'll make him all powerful. So he's got like a lightning bolt. Told you I wasn't an artist. And we said, okay, maybe, maybe at the center of the universe is the will of God. And so if we want to get on God's right side, we just have to do all the right stuff. We'll, we'll live life under God. And so I'll, I'll do all the right rituals. I'll be a nice moral person. And if I do enough for God, because God's this like, he can smite me if I'm not good enough. But if I'm good enough, God has to be good to me. You know, uh, I'll pat your back. You give me a Ferrari kind of thing. Um, and we saw, yes, God amazingly is the sort of person who is actually in charge. We do live life under God, but, but that's not the center of existence. So perhaps we saw then, perhaps we need to go back to E equals MC squared. And we saw in this week that that it's possible to approach God in terms of he provides the rules. He provides the, um, the principles under which we can operate. And believe it or not, you can find books that tell you how to lead like Jesus. Fifteen principles from the gospel to lead like Jesus. If you follow them, things will go fantastically. 
If you're in business, 15 principles taken from Jesus' life to succeed in business. If you follow these, life... What rubbish. You know what? A great way to know it's rubbish is that actually you can follow all the principles without knowing God. Now, it is true that at somewhere in the universe and, and in here, God does set down rules. We live in an ordered society. Gravity works. E does equals MC squared. Is that the center of the universe? No. Now we saw, uh, there's one more that we, that we need to look at. Ah, this is the last one we looked at. This is the one that says life for God stands at the center of the universe. And we saw this one. Does anyone know what that is? It's a megaphone. A megaphone. We saw this one. Life for God says at the center of the universe, at the center of our existence, at the center of meaning is God's challenge to us to do the job. And if we do the job good enough, if we tell enough people about God, then God's going to be happy with us. Now it's true, God does give us a job to do. We are here on a mission where to tell people about Jesus. But, but is the job the center of the universe? Is the job our reason for existence as Christians? And we said no. Excuse me? Better? Thank you. <laughs> Better. <laughs> right, let's get back to it. Uh, is mission at the center of the universe? No, it's not. And we saw from Paul, Paul spoke uh, and said, um, what, I, what stands at the center for me is not mission, but but knowing Christ. Everything else I consider rubbish. So we've got all these, these different options here, uh, these false religions, these false promises, these false understandings of what it means to follow God. And if our lives are based around, centered around myself, or centered around just following the principles, or, or if my life is centered around, God's going to get angry if I'm not good enough. And if my life is centered around, I've got to tell more people about Jesus, because God's going to get angry if I don't. If my life is centered around these things alone, if they are the core of my existence, we've missed the boat. And I even want to suggest, are we Christians? Because, you see, the gospel and Jesus and the whole Bible give us a, a very different view of existence in the universe. In the beginning, says John, was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John opens and says to us that Jesus, the Word, existed before all things. He was with God and he was God. This is one of the uh, enduring paradoxes of the Christian faith that 
that Jesus is God and that the Holy Spirit is God, that, that God is not just one person, but he is, he is one person and three persons. One eternally existing God in three persons. You see, at the core of existence of the universe is not divine will, is not natural law, is not personal desire, is not global mission. At the, at the core of existence, from the word go, at the center, we find God. in relationship with himself. See, at the core of existence, we find God in relationship with himself and with his creation. All of the problems of this world and the brokenness and the the weightiness and the horribleness Everything that is wrong in this world stems from this relationship being broken. Not within God himself, but the relationship between God and us. Everything that is wrong comes from that no longer being recognized as the center of existence and meaning in life. Uh, That's the story of of the fall in Eden is the story of humans saying we can be God in our own right. We don't need God. And God's solution to this problem, well, if, if it's meant to be relational, God's solution is relational. God doesn't just send a list of rules and regulations for us to follow. God doesn't just give us principles to implement. God doesn't just be a nice, gentle grandfather who gives us whatever we want. God doesn't just give us a mission to accomplish. God's way to fix this broken world of ours, to fix us, to fix the fact that that at the center of our existence is not himself and a relationship with him, God's way to fix that is to come to be with us. And you find that from Genesis to Revelation. God started walking with Adam and Eve in the garden and you come to the end of Revelation and, and you see the, the climax of all history is, is the dwelling place of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. I mean, Jesus came down to earth, humbled himself, went to the cross to fulfill God's desire to be with us. He didn't just die to start a mission off. He didn't just die to give us a second chance. He didn't just die to show us a principle of love for others to copy. He didn't just die to appease the wrath of God. He did all of that, but, but the, the core of why Jesus came and died and rose again The ultimate purpose of the cross to which everything else stands as secondary. The ultimate purpose of the cross is to fix our relationship with God. And to bring it back to the center point of our existence. 
You see, all these other things, life under God, life from God, life for God, life over God, all of these different ways of approaching God seek to use God to achieve something for myself. But, but the, goal, the goal of the Christian life is not to use God. The goal of the Christian life is God. If we're going to really desire that, though, it's important for us to, to know who God is, to, to see even a glimpse of his unrivaled beauty and majesty and awesomeness and, and his unconditional love and his glory and his, his marvelous goodness. Because if we once saw God as, as desirable as that, He would become our treasure. And we would settle for nothing less than Him being the core of our existence. How do we see this? Well, we see it through His Word, but we see it most clearly in in Jesus, the, the image of the invisible God. Jesus said just before He went to the cross, He was speaking with His friends, His disciples in John 14. He said, Uh, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Says Jesus, you look at me, you see the Father. I think a good question to ask ourselves, answer if you want to, but feel free to not, because this can be a confronting question, is, What is my treasure in life? What is it that I desire more than anything else? What would I give everything to have? Life with God means treasuring God above all else. Now, hands up if you treasure God above all else. Hands up if you want to treasure God above all else. My hand goes up for that one. John Piper says, and I like this, the gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. Let me repeat that. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted, says John Piper, by the gospel. I think he's a bit strong there. If if God is not our desire, that he is our ultimate treasure, we haven't really seen him, have we? So let's get to this passage that, that Mark read. You're probably sitting there going, oh, yes. That's okay, but when's he going to read the Bible? When's he going to tell us, speak what Jesus said? Luke um, 14, verses 16 over here. Jesus is having a meal. Um, He he says something confronting. Another guy says, oh, it's going to be fantastic to be at a banquet in heaven one day, isn't it? And the implication, I'll see you there. And Jesus says, okay, let me tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story about a landowner who was throwing a party. Now, in those days, you, you didn't have um, telephones. And 
you didn't have friends like Colin to give you watches. Um, and so if you were throwing a party, you'd send out a two-stage invitation. You'd go out to everyone and say, hey, I'm having a party next Monday. Come along. It's going to be fantastic. All the wonderful people are going to be there. You know what the best thing is? It's at my house. It's very arrogant if you're me. Not so much arrogant if it's God. So we have this landowner, sends out the invitations, gives them plenty of notice. The day of the party arrives. Everything is ready. He says, okay, servants, out you go. Tell everyone, because they don't have watches, they don't have Colin. Tell them the party's about to start and it's time to come. Well, we've heard the story, what happens. You get some excuses. And they sound like good, legitimate excuses, don't they? Um, What's happening here? In many ways, Jesus is this landowner. God is the landowner. Jesus has come. He's, he's inviting people into his presence to be with him, to celebrate with him. He's been going around Galilee saying, come, the kingdom of God is near. The party's almost here. In other words, this is the great moment that they've been waiting for. But listen to the excuses. I'm so sorry. So, 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 so sorry. I, I've just bought some land. And you know, I never look at land before buying it, so I'm going to go and look at it now. The next guy, modern equivalent. I'm so sorry, I've just bought five tractors. And I really have to go and look at the. I never buy a tractor when I've looked at it first. So I'm going to go get my tractor and have a look at it now that I've bought it because it's expensive. The third guy, the third guy is interesting because the third guy is nice and, ooh, I know the laws of God. Ha! The law says in Deuteronomy that if you get married, you are exempt from going to war. For a year. You get to hang out with your wife and you don't have to go and fight for a whole year. This guy gets the invitation to the party. He says, sorry, mate, can't come. I've just got married. You know, I'm exempt from all this sort of stuff. What lame excuses. The master is angry. He's not going to let these excuses ruin the... His, his great plans, and so he, he sends his slave to bring in the poor and the maimed and the blind and the lame, and, and then when even that's not enough to fill the, the hall, he, he sends his slave to the highways and the byways and the hedges, and, and he says, bring them in. Don't take no for an answer. Bring them all in. God's invitation, uh, I think, if we bring it back to Jesus, God's invitation has gone out through the ages through the prophets saying, I am your God, be my people. And now Jesus has come and it's time to celebrate God's kingdom coming in Jesus. It's, it's time to celebrate God. And, and so many gave excuses. And so what happens? The invitation gets spread out. It goes to those in the city. It, it goes to the Jews, but uh, the poor, the destitute. But, but then it goes further out to those outside the city. It goes to Gentiles like you and me. And Jesus says there in verse 24 in the parable, the, the landowner says, those who rejected my invite, they're not going to have a 
taste of my cordon bleu. No second chances. And the question, the, the question Jesus is asking with this parable, I believe, is explained in the next section where, where he asks us, how valuable am I to you? How much do you treasure me? You see, discipleship, look at what he says here in verse 26. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. You must hate even your own life. He says, Jesus, am I the first loyalty of your life? Am I your most treasured possession, I suppose is the right word there. And I love Jesus because he doesn't bait and switch us. He doesn't say, come along, it's going to be fantastic. We're going to sing amazing worship songs. We're going to dance in the aisles. We're going to have cake afterwards. We're going to get watches from our friends. Christianity is so much fun. Jesus says, you know what? You follow me, it's going to be tough. It's going to take up your own cross, you know, and that's not just a nice saying back in those days. You take up your cross, there's only one reason you do that. You're going to die. Jesus says, no, if if you're going to follow me, it's going to be costly. It's going to mean identifying with my suffering. It's going to mean ostracism. It's going to mean isolation. It's going to mean persecution at times. It can be a lonely road. It can be a tough road. How many people have families who shun them for being Christians? Jesus says, do you love me more than your wife? Do you love me more than your husband? Do you love me more than your children? Do you love me more than your friends? Do you love me more than yourself? If push comes to shove, who do you choose? Thank God. Quite often push doesn't come to shove. But if it does, who would you choose? Matthew ten thirty seven, Jesus says, If you love your mother or father more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. Is Jesus worthy of losing all my earthly relationships for? He wants us to know what we're letting ourselves in for when we follow him. He gives these two parables. And just very quick, read through them carefully at home. But he wants us to calculate if we can afford to follow him and if we can afford not to follow him. 
do we, do we stand against God all-powerful or do we accept his offer of, of reconciliation, of, of having a right relationship with him? Do we treasure Jesus so much that we'll stick with him no matter what? Any one of us could at any time be called to give up anything for the sake of Jesus. Is he worth it? And if you're saying, someone said yes, who said yes? Glennis said yes. If you're saying yes, oh, fantastic. If you're going, oh, he's, he's nice, I, I like him. But I, I, just, I just wish I could treasure him more. There's only one way to treasure something more, and that's to be captivated by it more. There's only one way to be captivated more by Jesus, and that's spending time with him. You know what? Peter and the other disciples treasured Jesus more, but there was a time when they ran away. Jesus sought them out again after his resurrection. In Matthew chapter 13, there's two verses I want to read here. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 and 45 and 46. Two little parables. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven. The parable is about the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of heaven is defined by the king. The kingdom of heaven is where the king is. And so if, if you speak about the kingdom of heaven, you're speaking about the kingdom of God, you're speaking about Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement. Who here is excited about God? In his excitement, he hid it again and he sold everything he had to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like It's like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought that pearl. A guy called Dan Meyer says that some of us run the risk of getting to the end of life believing that we've tried the Christian life. We've given it the old, uh, the old attempt. When actually all that we've got is a whiff of the relationship with God that we were meant to have. It's possible to to think we've tried the Christian life and just have seen All the stuff on the outside. Good stuff. But you know what? If if only we see this, if we only see the stuff on the outside, it will not satisfy. It will not satisfy to think that you have to be good enough for God. That is the way to depression. 
It will not satisfy to think that I just need to follow the right rules. Because life's a mess sometimes. It will not satisfy to think I'm number one because we're patently not and we know that. It will not satisfy to think if I tell enough people and be enthusiastic enough then God's going to be really happy with me. That's not going to satisfy. What will satisfy is if we see that at the center of existence, the center of meaning, at the center of life, is life with God. Any other treasure is no treasure at all. We need a vision to cause us to treasure. Tuesday or Wednesday, I said to Taryn, Taryn, I have enough sermon material here to do three sermons. And we've just done the, th- the first third now. So, are you comfortable? Good, because we're stopping right now. You know, there's more to this. Life with God doesn't stop with treasuring God. That's where it begins. Who remembers buying their first car? Yesterday, we, uh, we were driving home in a tow truck. Um, we were up in Morley. I dropped the key, and the key immobilizes something in it. It would still unlock and lock, but it just wouldn't start. And, of course, our spare key was Imandra. But luckily, we're with the RAC, and so we've got free towing for 100 kilometers, and they towed us right back, and we put the other key in and started. Wonderful. But we were driving an, an interesting character, wouldn't you say? He was telling us all about uh, his tough life, going on overseas holidays every year. He's just come back from Italy. Uh, but in two years' time, he's going over to America, and he's going to buy himself a car. It's orange. It's a classic car, and that's about how much I, I remember. <laughs> that's how much we understood. Here is a man who treasures that car. He could speak for a long time, all about it and where he's going to go and where he's going to get it and how much it costs and this and this and this. He treasures that car. His life is not fulfilled yet though, is it? His dream is not fulfilled. Treasuring is just the first step in life with God. You see, the next step that he has to do, he has to go to America and he has to buy the car. We have to treasure God, then we have to be united with God. And we're going to speak about that next week, how God unites us to himself, how he restores this relationship. But even when that guy has gone to America, he's got the car, he treasures it, now he owns it, it's still not complete, is it? He's got to get a key that works and switch on the engine and go for a drive because only then will his dream be fulfilled. It starts with treasuring God. In the middle, God unites us to himself. But life with God is also about experiencing God. And we're going to do this in two weeks' time. It's not just experiencing God one day when he comes back. It's about experiencing God now. Does that sound interesting? Does that sound like something we want to explore? Okay, I smell 
sausage rolls or something like that. So I'm going to stop speaking right now. Um, but first, can I just say to you guys, may God be your treasure. May God so captivate your eyes. You know, it's so easy for us to get distracted and to see other things and to, to lose sight of the treasure that is God. May you be captivated by him. May your every waking moment desiring him be desiring him. May when you go to sleep, as the psalmist said, may he be the the last thought at night and the first thought in the morning. May he be your treasure. Mr. Mack.